Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of the podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I am so happy to be joining you guys here today. We have a fabulous show for you. I got to interview Auntie Lila Lawler. Now, Lila Lawler is her name. She's a mom of seven, and she blogs at likemotherlikedaughter.org. She actually blogs with her grown daughters there. She homeschooled her children And now they've all grown and left home and they're having grandbabies, which I think she's enjoying quite a bit. Lila is a wonderful resource for homeschooling moms. She has great advice to give on things like getting the laundry done, which books to read in your homeschool, discipline, and especially prayer in your family. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview today. So sit back, relax, and thanks for joining us. is a mom of seven grown children and a grandmother of eight with one more on the way. She and her four daughters co-author the popular blog, Like Mother, Like Daughter, where they chat about food, weddings, babies, family, and other beautiful things. Auntie Lila is a popular resource among moms for advice on laundry, dinner, and discipline, as well as being the co-author of the book, The Little Oratory which is about prayer in the Catholic home. She homeschooled her seven children using Charlotte Mason methods, and she's here today to talk to us a little bit about that. Welcome, Lila. It's awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'll have to correct my bio just a little bit. I'll throw in there that I homeschooled six of my children, my eldest son, but my eldest, he actually never homeschooled because we came to the idea of homeschooling as we proceeded with our child raising. So he had other opportunities that we went along with, but yeah, he homeschooled six of our children. Okay, great. Well, that's usually my first question. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your family and how you guys did get started homeschooling? Well, funnily enough, it's my husband who really wanted to homeschool, but in a very generalized, you deal with it kind of way. (laughs) He just said, I thought they don't need to go to school. And I really wanted them to go to school because I was anxious to start my career as mom and get some affirmation from outside the home and see what other people were doing. And I didn't really know anything about homeschooling, although I had a very definite idea of what education should be. And that is how we got to homeschooling because we quickly realized that our principles weren't being fulfilled outside the home for the most part. So I did start to to think that as time went on, that it would work better to have my children at home. But reluctantly, I just didn't really know how I would go about it. So I quickly started doing some reading and trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of how to do it. And at that time, my eldest was going through the school system Well, it took me some time to decide, and eventually he did get a good opportunity to go to a very, very good school, which we thought at the time was probably our best decision. In retrospect, I think maybe it would have been better to homeschool him as well, but I always say to moms, 
probably no matter what you do, you'll regret what you did. We've done it all and we've pretty much regretted all of it just <laughs> because that's what moms do. They just question and second guess everything they they decide. So maybe hopefully since I'd say all my children did really come through with a good education and uh, their heads on straight. Hopefully that will be a sentiment that is of some consolation. I was going to say they all turned out fine. So (laughs) no sitting around and regretting. (laughs) Yeah, mom just always regrets, but what can you do about that? (laughs) I think it's the second guessing. They always, well, if I had done this differently, would it have been easier? Would it have been better? Exactly. Yeah, there's always that. You started homeschooling and you said you did some research. Now, your youngest child graduated. Has she graduated from college yet? Nope. She's entering her sophomore year in college. So, and uh, it's my two youngest who pretty much completely homeschooled. And with the oldest, uh, the older ones, they, to a greater or lesser extent, they homeschooled, went to school for a few years, did various things. So I'm definitely one of your hodgepodge people had to get together. But remember that when I started, very few people homeschooled and there were very few resources. So actually in our quite large town, when I started homeschooling, I was the only homeschooler in the town of, you know, 25,000 people. So that, cause that was quite a while ago. <laughs> so now I think, especially with the internet, it's much easier. And I look back and think, I don't know what I did without the internet. I went to the library a lot. Right. And yeah, that was kind of what I was getting at with that question was, you know, when you started that many years ago, it was probably quite the different story for finding support and resources than what it is now. Oh, yeah. Yes. And I definitely came to it with much more of a sense of, okay, I have the basic principles based on my reading and also my husband's encouragement to just know that we could have confidence to do this and not as much nitty gritty practical advice, but in a way, some ways I didn't reinvent the wheel or I guess in some ways invented (laughs) because there just wasn't homeschooling at the time. But in other ways, I think I did maybe avoid some pitfalls and we just had confidence to do what we wanted to do and not worry that much about what other people were doing. Just mm-hmm. because there weren't other people. Yeah, there can be a blessing to that too, can't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thinking back, I'm going to give you a multiple choice question. <laughs> thinking back on your homeschool days, your homeschool day was most like which literary classic? Would it have been A, Persuasion, B, Plato's Dialogues, C, War of the Worlds, or D, Shakespeare's Comedy of Errors? <laughs> Um, no, I don't know. <laughs> I can't say that everything was perfect or lined up perfectly. One of your choices, I forget which one implies, but it wasn't chaos either. We just made our own way and uh, enjoyed each other's company and had lots of good books and yeah, did our best. Well, what do you think is the most important skill you wanted your children to learn before they grew up and left your home? The most important skill, I think, is embodied in Dorothy Sayers' essay, The Lost Tools of Learning, which is to know how, what it is you want to learn, to be given the gift of having the tools and the ability to approach learning, to be an independent learner, and to have confidence that you can grasp and seek after the knowledge that you need. So not pumping them full of information, but 
giving them the freedom and know how to find their own knowledge and wisdom. Well, you said that you did not have a lot of people near you when you started homeschooling at all. You were the only one. So if you could have received a piece of advice as a new homeschooling mom, what do you wish there had been somebody around to tell you? I think that would be what ultimately came to realize and and try to convey on the, the blog, which is that you're building an environment and you're giving your children a lot of freedom and the freedom is grounded in the connection to the past. I would say that that would be the, what the you, advice that I would look for. What do you mean by the connection to the past? I think I wasted a lot of time and money insofar as I had money, which wasn't very far, <laughs> um, in great, you know, people's brilliant ideas or new ideas or new approaches or cute thoughts about curriculum. What I came to find out is that the pretty much for the most part, the best ways of teaching are the time-tested ones and the best books are the old ones. There are some new things that are good, but for the most part, the time-tested ones are the best and even the time-tested approaches are the best. Most people don't acknowledge that we actually don't know how children learn. And so therefore, we have to rely on those tried and true methods and not be taken in and give our money to people who who claim to have the key to getting a child to learn because actually they don't really know. Well, let's talk about motivation. This was one of the questions I specifically wanted to ask you because a lot of times I hear homeschool moms talking about, you know, what do I do with an unmotivated student? And, you know, sometimes this is an upper elementary age student. Other times I I hear a lot of moms with 12 and 13-year-old boys talk about having this problem. What would Auntie Lila do about the unmotivated <laughs> student in her home? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think most people in general are unmotivated. I think we ourselves can certainly have to acknowledge that we at least have our days when we're unmotivated and we can't be surprised when children are that way as well. That, I think, is human nature. So, again, we have to fall back on the trust in the environment and that we go back to those tried and true methods of providing the child with what he needs and then beyond that, giving him a tremendous amount of responsibility in areas that we might consider to be not educational. And that's what, again, I uh, I mean by the environment. So the whole way that the home is run, everyone takes responsibility. I have a whole category on my blog called we're in this together, and that's about you know stepping back a little bit from the, those purely educational goals and building to through the whole task of living family life. So when we we find that our children are given responsibility and concrete tasks, have real work to do, that then they become more motivated in a lot of different areas, including the educational ones, and a lot of traps of meeting other people's expectations, having to check off. And that's not really related to the human human person. Is Even the child has his likes, dislikes, interests, and lack of interest. And we kind of have to respect that beyond what people in general and tradition has thought of as the basics. So there's certain things we do require of them, but that should be very minimal. And beyond that, we should be ready and willing to help them pursue those things that they're passionate about. So even discipline, you know, I 
think you could say, well, an unmotivated child needs discipline. But discipline is part of the bigger picture. It's part of the environment and what we do as a family. So to concentrate more on that and on giving the virtue of discipline in all the areas and just trust that the educational area will go along with that. Get us give a lot of uh, freedom to the family and to the individuals in the family to do what they think is interesting and not get too upset when we find that there are things that they just aren't that interested in. So all of that is in the context of, yes, there are some things that we require of our children but across the board, not just educationally. And then later they will, you know, they will rise up. You'll find that they will rise up and say, you were right. <laughs> I did need to study grammar or whatever, but thank you for not making me do it all day long, or also thank you for giving me these other responsibilities. That's what I found to be true. There seems to be a lot of respect for the child in your philosophy of, well, motivating there, but also discipline. I know that one of my favorite posts that you've written on the blog was about not telling your children because I told you so. We should also tell people that I always encourage moms and families to demand a lot of the children and especially obedience. I have posts about obedience. And I always say, my big tip with that is to say, be ready to give a reason to the child. Ask him to obey first and tell him, you obey. And when you come back, I'll tell you why. That's assuming because we've all, we all, I myself, spend a lot of time explaining to our children why they should do a certain thing at The point that I say, don't say, don't give an explanation to the child, it's because I know that you and I have explained until we're blue in the face why that child should do the thing. So then what we need then is obedience. So he comes and he says, but why should I feed the dog? Which we've explained 100,000 times. So we say, do it and come back to me and I'll tell you why. First do it, prompt obedience, then I'll explain why. And lo and behold, that child suddenly receives the infused knowledge of why he should have said the talk, perhaps accessing the 100,000 times that we already told him. So somebody did leave a comment on that post saying, oh, no, I think you should always explain to the child. And I wanted to qualify and say, of course, you should explain, but the time for explaining comes to an end. And then you say, don't say, because I told you so, say, do it, and then I'll tell you. And the problem always resolves itself. Yeah, I like that because my knee-jerk reaction It was convicting for me because my knee-jerk reaction Uh is to fall into the because I told you so. And um, Uh it was good for me to stop and think about the fact that I had explained this and I should expect the obedience. And Of course, you've explained it. You've explained it so many times. (laughs) That's the frustration of this situation. So I always think, don't throw yourself under the bus by saying, because I told you so. Just let the child realize, yeah, I do know why I have to do this. I'm just trying to get time. Bye time for mom. And maybe she'll forget she sent me to do it in the first place. Or, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Um, I was recently reading For the Children's Sake by um, Susan Shea from Macaulay. And she was she had mentioned in her chapter there on discipline and obedience that Charlotte Mason's answer to that question was because it's right. When a child says, mm-hmm. why should I do this? You know, because it's right. And so that gave me something else to think about as well. That's a good one as well. Yeah. Yeah. What book, you said that you guys read a lot of good books when you were homeschooling. What book do you think is a must read for your children before they leave home? Oh my, that's a, I don't know if I could narrow it down to uh, one book. There are so many, you know, that people often talk about the 
hundred great books or the, you know, Harvard University has their Harvard great classics. There are many people who've tried to identify the, those few important books without which civilization would not be. And then John Sr., a great mm-hmm. uh, thinker about education, had talked about what he called the thousand good books that the child should read in order to prepare to have a great conversation of the hundred or however many there are great books. And those thousand good books so essential and actually comprise what this education that we homeschoolers are giving to our children. And so on the blog, we've tried to link to his list of thousand great books and others who have their thousand good books and others who have their good book list, specific lists that we do link to. But we also try to to discuss uh, at least some of those that we think have maybe slipped out of out of knowledge or discussion and that we consider to be really important. And some of those would be The Wind in the Willows, Treasure Island, The Swallows and Amazons, mm-hmm. the Narnia books. These fairy tales in particular, I would say old-fashioned Grimm's Brothers, Andrew Lang, real, honest-to-goodness, non-Disney fairy tales. And I have several posts about why I think fairy tales are so important from so many points of view. So I don't know that I could say one particular (laughs) book, maybe the Narnia Chronicles, I don't know, but definitely great classics of childhood are indispensable. Yeah, asking you to pick one book is like asking you to pick your favorite grandchild, I'm sure. I can't do it, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Well, did your family have any special homeschool traditions or rituals that you guys did together? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Uh, I guess you'd have to ask them. We always, in the midst of all the, you know, I won't, don't want to paint a rosy picture. We always had our days of tearing our hair out, but we enjoyed ourselves. We had a lot of fun just going on walks. We would head out to a particular little hill that when we felt that we'd had enough of being inside. And pretty much in any season, we would take the dog and maybe meet another family who eventually did start homeschooling in our town and uh, climb up that hill and just have an afternoon of, of getting, we call it in our family, getting your yayas out. So I look back on that with, with satisfaction that we just enjoyed family life. Dinner time together, very important, very enjoyable. I would say to people to find what you enjoy and enjoy it. Yeah, do more of that. You write on the blog a lot about a few simple household systems that you think are just kind of vital to the success of running a household. Do you want to tell me a little bit Mm -hmm. about those? Sure. Well, it's so funny because I, over the years, since I did start homeschooling pretty early on, people would call me and ask me, what what should they do? And then people would say, could I have my friend call you? And I thought I would think, I need to just somehow have something I could hand out to them. <laughs> and then finally, that's when blogging started to be a thing. I thought, oh, here's the way, here's how I'll do it. I'll just put it on the blog. And what I always wanted to say to the people who were obsessing or worrying so much about what English curriculum, what math curriculum, I would always want to say to them, because I had struggled with this and finally learned my lesson, do you have your food system down and do you have your laundry system down because you can't homeschool if you don't know what's for dinner and you can't provide the environment that the child needs to grow it with order, the order that they need. If there's piles of laundry that we're stepping over, if we're so harried because 
we can't even get into the laundry room. We can't hope to be conveying to our children this sense of order. A lot of people give up on homeschooling, and it's not because they haven't found the perfect math curriculum. It's because they can't handle the daily grind of life, which is what it comes out to be when you haven't <laughs> mastered it, which is boils down to the necessities of knowing what's for dinner and those two other pesky meals and having a laundry system that works. So on the blog, I have tried to break that down so that even the mom with lots of kids and not much money can succeed and have those things in place. And then you can move on to having a reasonably neat and tidy house. And when the laundry's done, you know what's for dinner and the house is either reasonably tidy or could be made reasonably tidy given half an hour. Then you find magically you have an environment in which the children do those things you fantasize about, playing math games or sitting around reading good books, which is the goal, right, of homeschooling. Exactly. Well, and I love that. And we're going to link to both your laundry system and your meal planning system and also the reasonably clean home as well. And I love how you break it down to, you know, you can't hope to be successful homeschooling if you don't get these few simple systems in place and working for you because you're right, you're just completely distracted by the fact that you don't know what's for dinner and it it creates chaos in Mm -hmm. the home. And I know that anytime things get chaotic, if I just step back and ask myself, okay, do I need do I need to revisit this? Do I need to get back control of the laundry? Because it's constantly a, you know, oh yeah. You it's get into it. Yeah. yeah. You get into it really well for a season and then, you know, things kind of fall apart yeah. and you have to get back to it again. But that's why it's Or worst of all, what happens is the seasons change and then you have to deal with the boxes and bags of things and then you realize, yeah, my system needs a reboot. But it's definitely the thing that is the make or break for whether people will be happy at home and they don't realize that. And they, and partly that's because they make the mistake of thinking that their primary role is to school the children. We must educate our children, but homeschooling is only one of the things. We're really, we're a wife, we're a mother, we're a homemaker, and we're schooling our children. So no one person can actually do all those things. It's too much. So we have to figure out some doable way And that's what I've tried to do. At least it's what works for me. Some people really have been helped by it because I don't demand perfection. And I do take into account that you probably do have a bunch of children and not a ton of money. So that's, I think, what the advantage of uh, the systems that I've put on there. Well, I know that one of the things that you like to talk about is prayer. And in the little oratory, you talk about how Catholic families can create a physical space um, Mm -hmm. to help grow their prayer life. Can you just speak to families in general and about prayer and why it's important to teach that to your children? I think that when we start to think of these questions of the order in the home and, and how I talk in the blog about how the order that we have and the wonder that we seek are inextricably linked. So order is really the rhythm of the things that we want to do. And wonder is what arises out of our daily life and our connection with the things that go beyond, whether those things are our nature, great books, great conversations, or ultimately the stars, God, and God's gifts to us. So this made me think of prayer 
in a way that maybe is a little different from the way people normally think about it in our time, which is to think of it in the same orderly way. And that is related to the idea of liturgy. And liturgy really is a word that means order. So it's the order of worship, how God wants us to worship Him. And really, our worship of God is our prayer. So it's very interesting to think about how all the things that we, well, when we are trying to look at our whole life and our home and our homeschooling and how to put it, have it correspond to maybe what, what is good and true, we think of it in terms of seasons and we think of it in terms of days, days of the week and even hours of the day. And actually, all of that relates to, to our Christian faith. Our Christian faith is based on the Sunday, our day of rest, our day of worship, and then the days, the other days which lead us to that day. And within each day, we have the times, the hours that we set aside for prayer, and then the ones that we have for work, but we want our prayer to permeate our work as well. And then we think of the seasons and how the most important times of celebration being Christmas, which leads us to Jesus Christ, not only nativity, but his suffering, death, and resurrection, and Easter, and then the seasons that go along with those two great times of celebration. All of that is what I like to call liturgical living. And to organize all of that, and to give us an organizing principle for all of that, and so that it doesn't become overwhelming, Christians from the very beginnings of Christianity actually did make a little place in their home. They can call it a prayer corner, an icon corner for Our Eastern brethren, you know, a place where the icons, the sacred images go, a place of visual beauty. And that place, and for most of us, we'll probably have a crucifix or an icon, a little candle to represent our prayer, and maybe a few other things, a a statue of a saint, just a few little things. And that place becomes a visual reminder to us of this life that we live with our Lord, which is our life of prayer. Prayer isn't just the prayers that we say, it's the whole of our life with our Lord, which is to say our whole life. So I do like to think of this little place in the home as being, as my co-author David Clayton says, the organizing principle of this prayer, because we are human beings. It's easy for us to become too abstract. We need visuals. We need to have all our senses engaged. And what's beautiful about having this place of prayer in the home is it does that. And so it provides us with a start to organize our liturgical life in the home, which is then connected to the liturgical life in the church, which is, in fact, the life of Jesus Christ. I love that idea of having that little spot set aside that is a visual reminder of prayer all the time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so every time you your eyes fall upon that spot, you know, whether you're homeschooling or setting the table for dinner or folding your laundry, you're mm-hmm. reminded of that exactly. prayer. And then it, it can change with the seasons. And in the book, The Little Oratory, we describe in detail how, so for instance, in if we want to make a new beginning with this sort of life that's centered on prayer during Advent, we can set our little oratory, our little prayer table up to reflect this season that we're living, the time preceding Christmas. And likewise, at Christmas, we can have it arranged a certain way and the children can be a part of this. So this started in my home because I didn't have this idea at the beginning of our family life, but it definitely started with the crash on the mantelpiece, the little 
you know, nativity set on the mantelpiece. And then the Christmas season is over. You put those things away, but then you want another reminder there. And little by little, it becomes the place where we can reflect the liturgical changes, which is just, as I say, our life with Christ and which has been given to us. We can read about it in scripture. We can learn about it from the church. It has been given to us actually by God to keep us in contact with all of the things he wants to teach us and have them cycle through daily, yearly, weekly, how, you know, all through time. And we're always gaining something new, but always returning to our childlike wonder. And this is the beautiful way that the seasons actually teach us about our faith. So not only are we praying there, but we're in a very calm and peaceful way learning about the faith. And that's how we'll teach our children about the faith. The liturgical year is really the best and most perfect tool for teaching children the faith. And keeping them focused on Christ. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I have a pop quiz for you. Are you ready? Oh, sure. (laughs) Okay. All right. So one word answers. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Pen or pencil? Pen. Talker or listener? Mm, Talker. (laughs) Fiction or nonfiction? Uh, Fiction and nonfiction. (laughs) (laughs) That's not one word, Lila. (laughs) (laughs) Cat person or dog person? Dog person, only because my husband is allergic to cats. (laughs) Okay. Lord of the Rings or Star Wars? Oh, Lord of the Rings. Ocean or mountains? Ocean. Essay or project? Essay or project? Mm Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Oh, essay. Essay. Well, Lila, thank you so much for joining me here today. Would you tell people where they could find you online? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. They can find me at likemotherlikedaughter.org. And they can find the book at sophiainstitutepress.com and also on Amazon, The Little Oratory. And yeah, I'm very excited to have people come and visit me and drop by and say hello. That'd be wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we will include links to all of the great things we talked about today in the show notes and definitely encourage people to click over and check out some of those wonderful resources that you have for them and all the wisdom that you share. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. God bless. And there you have it. If you would like links to anything Lila and I talked about today, any of the resources, and even Lila's own wonderful little oratory about building a prayer space in your home, you can find all of that at edsnapshots.com forward slash 20. Those are the show notes for today's episode. And also there you can find links to iTunes if you would like to leave a rating or review for the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. And for everybody who's done that, thank you so much for taking the time. We really do appreciate it. And hey, I have a special announcement for you guys. Some of you may not be aware that I have actually started a second podcast. It is all about homeschool morning time, and you can find it on iTunes as well. The name of it is Your Morning Basket. So if you'll just search in iTunes or on Stitcher for Your Morning Basket, You can hear all of the interviews I'm doing with experts and mentor moms on the practice of morning time for homeschool. I hope you check that out. And hey, we'll be back in another couple of weeks with episode 21 of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. And until then, keep on homeschooling. Homeschooling.